All right, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Today we're going to speak on the subject of adoption. And the message is entitled, Adoption Through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ, according as he chose us in him, God the Father chose us in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace, in which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Sometimes I read different versions in my introductory text. Sometimes I have a mix. I just want to note here the modern King James, where, where the King James says accepted in the beloved. Modern King James says the one having been loved, speaking of Christ. And um, we'll go into some of the details of a lot of these verses here as we go through here. I'm going to talk about the love of God specifically also in this. Now, we had mentioned in our introduction to our service today, we sang Onward Christian Soldiers. And um, uh, I know some of you have talked to me about different things going on in your life and how that you are like beat down. And usually whenever somebody tells me that, I always want to, kind of remind them that they're not the only one that's being beat down and don't forget to look outside yourself as we're told in the scripture and take on the concerns of others that are in the church your brothers and sisters they've been beat down too and uh, we know that when we reach out and um, look outside of ourselves and give rather than receive we still receive by giving we humble ourselves and we Ask, you know, is there anything that we can do? Is there anything I can do? You know, this, that, and the other. And um, even it, it's a fact, even psychologically in the world, if you're not even a believer, people feel better when they quit looking inside at their depression and they go out and deal with other people. It's a fact. Scripture doesn't copy off that. Scripture is the foundation of that. And, uh, you know, I've seen motivational speakers, for example, over the years, they'll steal stuff from the book of Proverbs and they'll steal things from Scripture and they'll act like that they came up with it. So as we come together as a church and, and even when we're not together, we need to keep in remembrance of we've been tattered beat down in this war we got the war as i mentioned earlier in the announcements we got the war within ourselves romans 7 talks about that we're conflicted as people and then outside of ourselves uh, being uh, using ourselves as battling with the world paul said in galatians 6 14 god forbid that i should glory except in one place one thing the cross of our lord jesus christ 
And then he went on to say, to the world, the world is crucified to me in that idea, and I'm crucified to the world in that idea. In other words, I believe the gospel, the world doesn't. Therefore, the world counts me as dead when it comes to these ideas of truth. And I count them dead because they believe lies. So I can't, I can't fellowship with the world spiritually in this main thing in my life, the cross of Christ. So if people know that and practice that, you come here every week, you're going to be tore up if you've been engaged in the war. So we need to be looking at the scripture, not just here. You're responsible as church members to study on your own, to be as the Bereans, to study these things. Uh, whether you hear me say them or hear somebody outside the church say them, study them to make sure they're so. And then, you know, layer upon layer, precept upon precept, learn and grow and in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can uh, worship him properly. So we can, uh, multiple reasons, so we can have assurance, so we can engage in this battle. And knowing certain things and never forgetting them and chiseling in the stone in your heart and mind will make you immovable. And one thing is knowing that you're adopted by God. And we're going to talk just a little bit about adoption. And, and as usual, you know, I'm not going to exhaust this. I mean, any subject we deal with. If we preached on that same subject, some aspect of the gospel, if we wore that out every week until we die, God's word has a depth where we will never exhaust the fountain of truth. So we're going to talk a little bit about adoption and just try to encourage one another in this message. Uh, we, In our text there, we read a few verses there and you know, just briefly as we read through, you saw probably some things pop out, and we're going to try to look at some of those, but love is in there. Uh, the doctrine of election is in there. Predestination is in there. And then, of course, our topic of adoption. And we're going to even look at a few other verses that are below those verses talking about redemption. So we're going to try to look at all those. And what I want to, I'll give you my four points, and, and I've don't want to stretch this out to a multi-part series, but hopefully we can get all. Actually, there's five points. I added this last one this morning. Number one, who is adopted? You know, if this was just sermon audio and I just said that, I can say, well, I'm going to edit that. I meant to say, who adopted? That's the first point. Who adopted? I hope you know who's adopted. If we're talking about yourself, if you're a believer, you've been adopted. That kind of goes without saying. So who adopted, secondly, is realizing and experiencing the adopting love of God. How do we go about uh, doing that? Thirdly, uh, being thankful for the blessing of adoption. And then fourthly, the humility that we should experience by knowing about this adoption in a few different ways, not just a narrow way, but there, there are many ways that humility should come out of that. And then fifthly and lastly, uh, fellowship with other adopted children in the family of God. So let's just go to point one. Who is the one that did the adopting? Who is the adoptor? 
Well, God the Father adopted. Let's go back and look at um, verse 5, which is a, you notice, if you would pay attention to some of the grammatical things used, uh, commas are pretty important. You'll see that this is the continuation of a sentence from verse 4. But verse 5 says, having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. If you go back up, it's talking about the fathers doing these things. The father did the choosing. The father is the sovereign chooser. He decides. I remember uh, back when Bush was president, I forget some kind of controversy was going on, and he said, I'm the decider. <laughs> it's kind of funny, because I think of everything, in a, a lot of things in the context of theological. I heard a song on the way in, Huey Lewis, The Power of Love. Yeah, I'm thinking about this message. You know, He doesn't know what he's singing about in reference to my message, but I, I infuse these theological ideas into uh, rock and roll songs or country songs or whatever I hear. Uh, you're allowed doing that, you know. It's okay. That's not being part of the world. But the Father is running this. He is in his sovereign decree. He has purposed all these things. He is the predestinator. He is the, the elector. And he is the adopter. And he does all these things. We're going to see here in a second. He does them all in and by and through Christ. So the Father is the one who adopted Makes sense since he's got that name, right? The father. <laughs> he is the father of some children. So we are the children of God. And he did this by his sovereign purpose, his will, and his pleasure. This is all through Ephesians 1. You know, I, I challenge you to do this. We've done it before here. It's been a while. When you read through Ephesians 1, th this is pretty important. You need to do this. Don't do it while I'm preaching because I need to pay attention to what I'm saying. But when you read through Ephesians 1, look at who is doing what and who gets credit for what. And look at the personal pronouns, his and he and him. When it, when, think of that in the context of you being saved and you are not the Savior. He is the Savior. And think of it in the context of the plan, the purpose and the will and the pleasure of God. And you read the personal pro pronouns louder and put yourself in the background. You're not in the foreground here anyway. But you'll see the stress of, I, I didn't have anything to do with this. <laughs> and you'll see the riches of his grace. And when you're dealing with some uh, conditionalists or free willers or Arminians or Pelagians or Catholics or whatever, do that same thing when you read that. And... Um, the scripture is worded in a certain way. It's not by accident. Things are worded in a certain way. And um, these things are to be stressed for a biblical reason. This is not just done in Ephesians 1. It's done all over the place. So he, he is sovereign. He has a purpose. He has his will. He has his pleasure. And it, we, we read another text where that, that cannot be stopped because of who he is. He is a sovereign God. And if you try to strip him 
of his sovereignty, you have created an idol. And there are many different reasons why people try to strip him of the sovereignty. They want to, they want to run their own salvation and their own life and providence. And uh, you know what that results in? That results in anxiety medication. That's what that results in. It results in lack of assurance or flat-out deception. Because a lot of people think they run salvation and they're not saved in the first place. But God sends strong delusion, as it says in Thessalonians, and they're just trapped in their own lie. You know, people... Uh, just to kind of use street language, I mean, they step in their own crap, you know. It says our righteousness is dung. People psychologically and audibly are just full of self-righteousness. You can hear it come out in their, in their mouth, and you can see it come out in their means and their methods, and uh, they're, they're stepping in their own crap, literally. In a spiritual sense, literally. So he's a predestinator. He's doing it by his sovereign will. And he's predestinated us to the adoption of sons. So in other words, this will happen. This cannot not happen. It's going to happen. He will not fail. Now notice here, uh, it says in love at the end of verse 1. And I know of a lot of discussion has uh, ensued over the years about the placement of a comma in this language here, in this verse. The latter part of verse 4, as it goes into verse 5, it says, <clears throat> let me back up here and get it. Verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, <clears throat> that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, some Greek scholars say that after the word him, there should be a comma. Should be holy and without blame before him, comma, in love, having predestinated. So the, so the next flow starts with in love. That seems to be agreeable in the context. I know Young's literal translation, which I look at all the time, has a comma there. And uh, sometimes trans, um, versions, Bible versions, adjust things for the flow of language uh, and, and try to keep the meaning. But I think it makes more sense here that there is a comma after uh, him and then it starts out kind of going to the next thought in love, having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. So, and I'm not going to fight over that with anybody. You know, um, uh, if you have uh, a different view of that, it's not like I'm going to say you're not saved. You know, I hope you know me uh, a little bit better than that by now. But I, I think uh, it's helpful to see that comma before the in love. I noticed also um, Young's little translation used the word foreordained instead of predestinated. And when we get into our series uh, on election, I'm going to redo what I did years ago. I think it's 2007, a series on election. I'm having plans go forward to 
do that again for different reasons because new people and it was a bad recording and um, I'll probably expand on it but we'll look at the connection between foreordained and predestinated at that time but I just want to let you know that other versions have that word used foreordained instead of predestination now notice here um, in verse 5 in love having predestinated us so there again, it's the sovereign purpose of God. It's going to happen. And here this adoption is, a, is an act of God. Now we're going to look at a few verses if we have time that will show our own experience in adoption. I believe it's in Romans 8, talking about the spirit of adoption. Talking about receiving adoption. And then in Galatians, if we have time to get there, it's a very similar language to that uh, about receiving the adoption of sons. But notice here the latter part of verse 5. According to the good pleasure of his will. Now here again, this is connected to his decree, his sovereign decree and purpose, and it cannot and will not change. God does not change. He's all powerful. He's all wise. We talked about how that God is eternal and his thought is one thought. Now that's hard for us to get a hold of because we're constantly changing and we can't see over the horizon. But God has declared the end from the beginning. Not just because he knows the end from the beginning. He is the one that spearheads it. He decreed the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to happen because he's doing it. There is a difference in saying that God sits back and looks forward with his supernatural ability of uh, all knowledge and omnipotence and says, I see that's going to happen. I see that's going to happen. He knows it's going to happen because he drives it. He purposed it. He predestinated it all. And there's a vast difference between those two views. So this is according, this adoption according to the good pleasure of his will. So secondly, First of all, God the Father adopted. Secondly, realizing and experiencing this adoption in connection with the love of God. How does that come to us? Right? Because no doubt there are things going on in our lives that we don't even know are going on that God's doing. And it's his prerogative not to show us or tell us. He just works it. We know all things work together for good. That's a promise. But here, this adoption actually comes to us and affects us in a positive way of knowing about it in connection with the love of God, especially, and that we know that he is our father and that we are in the family of God. We're not outside of the family of God. There are some that are outside of the family of God, and we know that the scripture the word of God always works in contrasts and it shows those that are in the inside, those that are on the outside. The one God had chosen, the ones that he hasn't chosen. Vessels of wrath, vessels of mercy. Those that he loves, those that he doesn't. And on and on and on. It's, there's a lot of different contrasts. And so we want to we see how that we're in it. We're part of it. Not that we caused it or you know we cooperated to make it happen, but we... He has brought us in. So first, 
this is done by faith, just like everything else. We see everything in the scripture by faith. Now, what this faith is simply God gives us spiritual eyes to see things and understand things and believe things. So this is just, faith is just one of many spiritual blessings in Christ. Did we notice that verse up there, verse 3, that talked about the spiritual blessings? That's the first verse we read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, starts out talking about the Father. Who, uh, the Father, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. The Father is the one that is doing this, all of it. And he is giving us spiritual blessings. It says every spiritual blessing. So there must be more than one. We know there are. We've gone over several. and We will continue. But they are all in Christ. Because of Christ. Conditioned on Christ. For Christ's sake. And on and on. I don't know if you've noticed that everything that we get is because of Christ. Salvation's conditioned on Christ. Salvation, that title is a big umbrella. There's a lot of things under it. Adoption is one. Faith is one. Go ahead and turn to Romans 4, uh, I'm sorry, 8.14. Romans 8.14. Every week, if somebody can remember this, um, just a few minutes in, maybe look at Sovereign Grace Society and, and look at my page and see if there's any comments about, if there's any problems with the recording. Because, uh, I mean, I'm not going to watch a monitor. I can't do that and preach at the same time. I noticed some people last week on my page said there was a, uh, it was fidgeting, there was a jittery, jerky thing and with a sound and other people said there was no problem so I don't know if it's a a carrier problem or my problem I know we don't have I, I can't get Wi-Fi here I just use my data but um, uh, you know when I'm preaching I can hear uh, like that and it's people making comments on my thing and I, I can't look over at them but anyway that's just a thing so in the future we can iron some of these things out if we have sound issues I, I mean I'm looking into some things to help improve the recording and the sound and different things like that Romans 8:14 for as many so right now we're right off the bat there's a qualifier it's not talking about everybody it's talking about a specific group for as many as are led by the Spirit of God. That means that's not everybody. They are the sons of God. For or because you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Every week when we come here, uh, I think we need to be reminded that we're talking about the war that we're in. We need to shed off this idea of the bondage of fear, right? You haven't received that spirit. You used to have it. It said received again. We used to have it. 
But counterwise, you have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit himself, since, since we are adopted, we had, do have the Spirit indwelling in us. Uh, I think somewhere in here it says, uh, if uh, something about the Spirit of Christ. So if you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, you're not of his. So we have the Spirit in us. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we're children, then we are heirs. We, we have an inheritance, in other words. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, so that if we suffer with him, we may be glorified together. So there, I brought us here for verse 15. It talks about that we have, we have this thing of fear should be gone, and we've received a different spirit one that actually opposes fear, the spirit of adoption. Now, the spirit of adoption <clears throat> and the weeding out of fear should change so many things. It's going to be connected to our peace, our assurance, our boldness, uh, everything, our fellowship. Do you want a fellowship with people that are into, whether they know it or not, they're into the spirit of fear. There are whole religions based on the spirit of fear. You know, being afraid, there's there's hardly anything worse. We, we talked about assurance of salvation. We talked about peace. And we talked about the lack of peace of mind, especially in a spiritual sense. It's the worst place you can be. So this thing of fear is our enemy. It's one of our enemies in this war. We need to also see in this adoption that, that God's perfect love, in reference to anything he does for his people, it provides for his people, provides everything God's people need. We know that God deals with his people in different ways, in different variations. We know he gives them different gifts to exercise. We know the, the church is a body and the names in Corinthians, these different body parts and the function of the body part. And it talks about how that the body parts should all be together. And uh, it talks in that chapter about we, we don't, as a church, why would we want to function without our foot or toe or armor or whatever? The whole church functions as a body together and edifies one another. And there is a unity within the church. The reason I went to uh, this song we sang this morning, because it says, talks about one in doctrine and unity, to remind everybody that we're on the same page in doctrine and unity. And it talked about charity, which is love. These are things that we need to be reminded of and and be reminded that God is the author of these things. I mean, without God being the author, we wouldn't even know these things, and we wouldn't be reminded of these things, and we wouldn't see the pieces of the puzzle come together, and yeah, well, yeah, this is the foundation, and this is why this happened, the cause and effect of things based on you know what Christ has done for us. 
But God's perfect love provides for his people. Most famous verse in the world, John 3, 16. For or because God so loved the world, and we and we I'm not gonna sit here for 45 minutes and explain the word world means the elect. We know it does. You don't have to I think everybody understands that. But what what happened there? Because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So this is this is the foundation or the fountain of salvation here, the giving of his son for his people so that they can be rescued from sin and put on a, a platform of perfect righteousness, state of justification and the non-imputation of sin, and to know that. And as they know that, assurance comes because we are um, caused to, through the scripture, it doesn't encourage us to look on the inside. We talked about this last week. It encourages us to look to Christ as our foundation and our fountain of everything that flows toward us, all these spiritual blessings. So he provides everything for his people. And, and we also see, look at verse 6, to the praise of his glory and his grace, notice this, in which he has made us accepted in the beloved or in Christ. I mean, one of the basic questions of salvation, we brought this up a while back, was how can a man be just before God? How can I be received from this uh, to, to this father who is strict in his law and his justice and his holiness and his righteousness? How can I be accepted, me being a sinner? Christ has to come and do something to change my state so I can be accepted. And when that is changed, I am accepted in the beloved only and always. And unless and until you're in the beloved, you are not accepted. There's only one way. There's no substandard ways or second ways or different options or sincerity in another option replaces the truth. Or let's add lies, and then it's kind of a generic gospel. It's got lies in it. Me and Brian were talking about that before uh, the message earlier. How that some people talk about God, say, and we've, we've talked about this recently too, how that they say God saves despite of the untruth of the message. You won't find that anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere. At all. If so, how would that be to, as it says here, to the praise of the glory of his grace? How would that work? It wouldn't. <laughs> different story altogether. Different message. Different Christ. Another Christ. Another gospel. Powered by another spirit. The very spirit of Antichrist, as it spoke of in First John. And thirdly, under this point, the love of God in Christ resulted in our redemption. And this is why we're adopted. Christ bought us. The Father, as it says in verse 4, chose us. And he delegated this 
responsibility to the Lord Jesus Christ to take care of the problem, to rescue his people. And he did it as their representative and substitute. He took on all their issues, sin being the summation of all their issues. Sin had to be dealt with. Christ dealt with it. And look how we are here on the backside of that. We're adopted children of God. We're in the family of God. Look at verse 7. Uh, we didn't go this far in our reading, but look at it here. Speaking of Christ, in him we have redemption through his blood. Not just that, look at further, the forgiveness of sins. Now isn't that the basic issue in salvation, the forgiveness of sins? It happened through his blood in this redemption. He paid, redemption has to do with uh, merchandise. He paid and the payment was his, his blood, which has to do with really his merit. That's what that's about, his death, the merit of his death. Sometimes we use that phrase, his blood and righteousness. We use the phrase in scripture, talks about the cross of Christ. This is what this is talking about, all synonymous. But, but notice, it goes further, and it talks about the redemption in his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. There's a lot in that phrase, the riches of his grace. Okay, We know salvation is by grace. So can we, is, is that remarkable? Use that phrase, remarkable. Is it is it worthy of remarks? If you say grace has riches, it means there's more to talk about. A lot to talk about it concerning. His grace is rich. Therefore, we as God's people in the congregation, you should be able to talk more than 30 seconds about the grace of God. Fourthly, under this point, notice the manner by which we were adopted. I'm going to start out with the last two words in verse 4 and connect it up as part of the sentence with a comma before, like I said that I had really preferred. In love, having predestinated us to the adoption of children, note here, by Jesus Christ to himself. So the father is the adopter. But he did it by Jesus Christ. Just like everything else, pretty much. Election, it's, it's in here. Election is in him, in Christ. We're going to talk a lot about that in our election series, and we have before. But uh, I titled the message, uh, Adoption Through Christ. It's the same idea. I didn't want to confuse people that didn't listen to my message and only saw the title, them thinking I'm saying that Christ is one who adopted. The Father adopted by Christ. At least my, my version, the one I'm reading up says by. There might be other versions that say through. Probably are. I don't know. I've got like 13 on here. I didn't bother looking at it. But that's the idea. The manner by which we're adopted is through Christ. In love... It's not just through Christ, but it's in love, and he does everything in love, right? In love, and there's we're predestinated to it. That's another, that's another part of it, which I had mentioned. God sovereignly does it. And you figure Christ upholds all things. Christ runs providence, right? 
The Father delegated all providence over to Christ. He upholds all things by the word of his power. By him, all things were created. And by him, all things consist or are held together. So he runs providence. And as he, uh, his people are born in every successive generation, don't you think the Father in his sovereign decree has all things for his people who are not yet experienced conversion, all laid out? Parents of these parents of these parents of these parents finally have this kid and he's, he's raised and he's exposed to this part of scripture, this part of scripture. He goes in this church, experiences false religion, comes out of this church. Finally, he gets under the sound of the gospel. And then once he's under the sound of the gospel, he's taken care of in either uh, a, a local church or um, a ministry on the Internet. Just, he controls all of that stuff. All of it. The manner by which is Christ. All that stuff I just mentioned. Let's go to uh, Galatians chapter 4. Some other language about adoption. That word, by the way, is, is not really used that much. I kind of ran out of time. I started to look at a secondary idea talking about children of God. Did a search on children of God and there was a lot more uses of that. I mean, I didn't want to say, look, you know, dispel the myth of the universal fatherhood of God. Well, I don't think we need to do that. God is not the father of every single person in the world. We, we dispel that whenever we go to that verse that uh, I like to use to make that distinction where Christ looked at some of the religious people in John 8 that he was dealing with that were rejecting the gospel. He says, you are of your father, the devil. That dispels the universal fatherhood of God. God is the father of his children by adoption only. Only. There's not a second group of people called the Jews who by virtue of their bloodline are part of the children of God. No. They reject the gospel. They are not the seed of Abraham like they claim to be. We understand that by, you know, right here in Galatians, uh, the chapter before this, what we're getting ready to look at right now. We are of the seed of Abraham. Philippians 3, we are the circumcision. Galatians 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those under the law. First of all, it's talking about Christ. We, we, I think it was last week, talked about what he had to do, where, how he had to be born and so on to, to be, um, to furnish being the sacrifice. He had to qualify as the sacrifice, born of a woman, born under the law, avoid the uh, sin of Adam, be born of a virgin like it was prophesied and so on. And there's going to be some redemption involved here. And here the redemption uh, talks about the law. He redeemed those under the law. Now, everybody before they were out from under the law are under the law. You know, it, some of these dispensationalists or hypo-dispensationalists talk about this is the age of grace or whatever, and so there's there's no more there's no more law. When we are born, before we're converted, we are under the law. We are accountable to the law. And then we are married to Christ, who satisfied the law. And then we are not any longer under the law. We are under the dominion of grace. And we are married to Christ, used to be married to the law. And being bondage. That's that fear we talked about earlier, right? So we've been moved to a different family that is not ruled over in a in a 
dominion sense concerning the law. That he might redeem those under the law so that, there's always this so that cause and effect language, right? It's not something to skip over. It's something to say that that's there for a reason. So that what? We might receive the adoption of sons. Right? This is, you know, this happens in our conversion experience. When we're regenerated, we're, we're given spiritual life so that we can see. We're given the gift of faith so we see and understand and love God and, and worship him and, and live by faith. The justified shall live by faith. So this is because of that death that Christ died to redeem us from the curse of the law. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son, into your hearts, which is your minds. The word's cardia, it, it, it doesn't mean the physical heart muscle that pumps blood, right? It's not some little <laughs> romantic center here where we have these passionate emotional feelings that run our thoughts the heart is the mind. The mind has emotions coming out of it. No doubt about it. But the mind is what we think. What think ye of Christ? Christ asked. He didn't say, uh, John, how do you feel about me? Peter, how do you feel about me? Peter, you're doing a lot of stupid stuff. How do you feel about me? If Peter is directed to look inside, what's he going to say? Well, it's not you, I doubt. It's, it's stuff I'm doing, you know. It shows how you feel about him. You just gave it away. Why are you looking inside? We're, we're like that, too. We're like, it's easy to pick on Peter. We're like Peter this week, probably, some of us. But anyway, our hearts... We're given a new heart. The scripture says we're given a new heart. We're given, our, our minds are renewed. It says we're given uh, the mind of Christ so that we may judge things spiritually. First Corinthians. And again, same language as uh, earlier. Crying, Abba, Father. Verse 7. So that, notice this, you are no longer a slave, but a son and he says that in reference to you're not under the dominion of the law again. You're not a slave to sin in that you are guilty under the law to sin. You're under the dominion of grace, which has to do with adoption, love, election, predestination, faith, all these spiritual blessings. But you're a son, and if a son... Also an heir, or you have an inheritance of God. Again, here we go, through Christ. The manner by which comes to us is always this mediator. The mediator, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to John 1. Uh, this is uh, one verse that deals with the phrase children of God that I kind of added that doesn't specifically 
use the phrase adoption, but this kind of connects to uh, the three-part series we just recently did on the authority of Jesus Christ. We've went over this in our first verse-by-verse study in John, which uh, we haven't gotten back there yet. We need to get back there and um, finish that up. But John 1, 12. But as many as received him, in the context before this it says, he came to his own, his own received him not. Right? And we went over that as far as like, they just couldn't see. You can't receive if you can't see. But as many as did receive him, he, Christ, gave them authority. We just dealt with authority last few weeks. To what? To become children of God. Now, think of this idea in connection with our text. That the Father predestined us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. Here, he gave them authority to become the children of God. That's saying the same thing. And here's some redundancy. And I want us to notice this. Uh, I'm going to try to bring this out when I see it in other places I have before. But some versions may say, after the comma, even. But it says, to those who believe on his name. It's like a qualifier. And in case you didn't understand, these are the ones. Here's the identifying mark. It's those that believe on his name. And sometimes the word even is put in. And there's a lot of them in scripture that says, even to those who believe on his name. And some people don't understand. That's talking about redundancy and it's pounding down a, a further point. Not saying, you know, there's an option. You don't have to believe on, but even the ones that do, thumbs up. It's not saying that. It's not saying that at all. It's just being, it's just laying, laying on another layer. And notice this, who were born, not of blood, not of free will, right? Not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man. There's a little double free will there, but of God. God's the one doing it. It's called monergism, divine energy from God alone doing this. Just like Christ talked about in John 3, talking about the wind. You don't, have any, you don't have any power of your first birth. You don't have any power of the second birth. You don't have any power of the wind. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. All right, thirdly, being thankful for the blessing of adoption. Now, we know that we have been taken out of our old family. Adam. And or Satan. We are, we are no longer identified with them. We were crucified with Christ. Our old identity was killed there. And when we are converted, we are moved over to so many different categories our head should be spinning. It's the riches of his grace. And one of them is we switch families. We are now part of the family of God. We are not, like Christ said to those Jews, you are of your father the devil. We're not there. Right? And this is because we have been bought out of the marketplace of slavery. 
the redemption of the blood of Christ, which we've read already this morning. We've been reconciled to God. We are not. We are no longer at enmity. We are not His enemy. He's not enemies with us. We're not enemies with Him. Our mind. Before we were enemies in our minds with wicked works, whether it be outward immorality or or the the far greater wickedness of self-righteous religion. We've been reconciled. We're not enemies in our minds anymore. We have the mind of Christ. Christ and the Father are one. And in John 17, it says that Christ and the Father and his people are one. So we're reconciled. We're in union. We're no longer enemies. And this is all because of the riches of his grace and the manner by which is all in Christ. And we looked at a little while ago there uh, in verse 6, the beginning part, and it's all to the praise of the glory of his grace. And we should just keep seeing this. Anytime we look at anything in Scripture, this, this idea should come up, that all of it is to the praise of the glory of his grace. And then in verse 7, according to the riches of his grace. So there's two things mentioned about his grace. It's rich and it's glorious. Now, if you can preach a gospel, those two things should guide you in preaching the gospel. If you've got a gospel that's not rich and it's not glorious, get rid of it because it's not of God. I know I didn't give any detail there, but those of you that are here, I think, know a lot of the detail about what I'm saying. It's because that gospel that opposes our gospel, it's neither rich nor glorious. It's a shame. I know the gospel I used to believe in. I'm ashamed of it. I don't fellowship with people spiritually that believe that gospel. I mean, I'll be friendly to them. You know, I'm not going to be hateful to them. I uh, want to give them the gospel I believe so they can know what I know about this God and be a part of the same family. But I don't want to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And, and really this church, we don't want this church full of unbelievers. They're welcome to come to hear the gospel. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to have unbelievers get up here and uh, do some kind of leadership thing, or I'm not going to appoint uh, an unbeliever that I know is an unbeliever to a committee to do something. That's just uh, suicide. Fourthly, uh, humility in adoption. I'm going to have to speed up here because I'm running out of time. I mean, some of this should be go without saying. Seeing what he has done for us. We've seen this is by grace. It's, it's, it's the manner in which it's done by us through Christ. And uh, we couldn't even see it unless we had faith to see it. And we know that what's been paid for so that we can have it. I mean, if this doesn't produce humility, then there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you if this doesn't pr produce humility. Knowing the price of grace, Christ paid it all. And, you know, uh, here's the other thing in a practical sense. Of course, in the church, this should work its way out in the church, one with another. But just humility and compassion towards those that are outside, that are blind, because we know we were blind. We used to be in a different family. We were blind. So why have the haughty, prideful, cocky attitude that I've seen before and maybe in my younger days experienced? I know when I was lost and got a hold of the Doctrines of Grace toy, I was not humble at all. But... Now that we know what we know and we are where we are, um, 
we should be speaking the truth in love and humility. Uh, the proper attitude, in other words. Uh, go ahead and go to Ephesians 2 and read some verses real quick. This shows where we came from, just to remind us where we were so that we don't get puffed up in dealing with other people. Ephesians 2 and verse 1. And he has quickened you or made you alive, talking spiritually, who were once dead. I mean, <laughs> there's some redundancy there. In case you didn't catch it, you used to be dead, right? Dead in trespasses and sins. You're, you're in a state of guilt, enmity with God, not subject to the law of God, didn't care about God's character, just, you know, tunnel vision, your own, me, myself, and I. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom we also had our way of life in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the thoughts, and were by nature children of wrath, even as these others that you now know are now. Right? I mean, I added a little bit there for amplified version to help us understand a comparative thing. In other words, don't get this attitude. And here, too, I mean, think about some of the specifics in this language talking about some of this negative things that you used to be this. Uh, some of these things we still do. Right? Another text Paul wrote, he said, but you've been cleansed. Right? Even though we still do some of those, but you've been cleansed. You've been put on solid ground, and you're in a different state. I mean, unless you can read this and think that you have not sinned since you've been converted. If we say we have no sin, you make him a liar, it says in First John. I and mean, you go that route, you can. I mean, there's some denominations that do believe in this perfectionism thing. Verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy and for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Notice that when he said with Christ and in brackets he says, for by grace are you saved. In other words, it's saying, it just keeps saying Christ did it, Christ did it, Christ did it. That's what that means. That's where the riches and the glory of the graces is in Christ. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenlies so that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding, here's some more of it, riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. I mean, we're adopted, right? He just was talking about the chapter before. Part of his kindness toward us is this adoption. I mean, think about it. If you, if you have the means and you go to an orphanage and you say, I want to adopt this child. I'm not talking about foster care. I'm talking about full-blown responsibility, which is different than foster care. Foster care is great, you know. But I'm talking about all of this, adoption. I know some people that have married into a family where there are already kids, and they just weren't stepkids. They became adopted. And this man took on the financial responsibility, perhaps some dude was a slacker and wasn't paying child support. And I'm guessing legally when the dad adopts, I guess that guy can quit paying. But 
That's the kindness toward this one being adopted is what I'm saying. And this is spiritually, you can see the riches of the grace and the glory of the grace. Where if we look at ourselves, the, the worth and value of us, which is like zero, and God Christ condescending down in humility and taking on a body and being sacrificed for somebody that is unworthy and undeserving of being sacrificed and then pour all these spiritual blessings. I mean, if this doesn't produce humility in a person, they, they, they really just haven't experienced the knowledge of the gospel. Exceeding riches and grace and kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Back when he predestinated us to be the, the adoption of children, he also predestinated or foreordained that we should walk in these good works. And he provides these works providentially that we do, and he also both works in us, to will and do to do, do these good works. And through the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit flows through us to do these works. And it's all of grace. And it's by God, monergistically. He is the energy driving all of this. Lastly, and I've already gone an hour, um, fellowship with other adopted children. And I'm speaking primarily in the church. Uh, again, I sang that song earlier to remind us of the unity in the church and the doc, especially of doctrine. And then it said in charity too, and in love, the unity in love. Scripture talks about the church being knit together in love. So the realization of, yeah, I realize this just for me that I'm adopted and it, it humbles me and I praise the glory of his riches and grace. But then I look outside myself and I see, hey, there, there's one here that also comes to my church. I mean, don't we think about that other person? They've experienced the same thing. They were rotten too. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. And God forgave them. Therefore, if they say something that maybe offends me, I should forgive them for Christ's sake. Or maybe I should not really think they offended me. Maybe I should give them the benefit of the doubt before I accuse them. Maybe I'm thinking in some extreme build-up, far-reaching case that maybe they offended me when they might not have. We, we, we get all twisted up. And we need to think about these other adopted children in our family, which, by the way, Scripture talks about this family as being more important than our earthly family. And uh, Christ has not come on the earth to bring peace, but a sword. And he divides earthly families to be in other families. If you care about your earthly family, give them this gospel in hopes that they'll be in this family. Scripture talks about a common salvation. Now, don't get this confused with common grace, which is heresy. It's talking about... And I, and I bring this in because this adoption is common with other people in this family. You have that in common, which means you have also in common this salvation. That's what the scripture means when it's talking about a common salvation. Same family, same father, same Christ, same gospel. 
Same problems, same way of judging, same way of forgiving. So fellowship with other children in the family. And as I said earlier in the introduction, the church is against the world. This is a, this is a, uh, when you talk about a battle, you've got, um, you know, teams. You've got a war. Somebody doesn't fight a war by themselves against themselves. The war is against an opposing force. So we oppose the world. The church opposes the world in our worldview. So what does that mean in reference to other church members who are who are on your side in this war? Support, stick together, right? Think about certain organizations, a, a union, a work union. I'm, I'm not real fond of them. I'm not really been in one. I've worked at a place that had one that caused me nothing but trouble. But the idea of a union, I mean, if somebody even does something stupid, they'll rush to their defense and they'll, they'll, they'll use everything in the book they can to protect this person because they're in that group, you know. They're brothers. They call themselves brothers. You could, hey, I like this football team. I can't even name it. I know the Bengals. I'm familiar with them. So you like uh, the Raiders. You're not on my team. As if you play for the Bengals anyway, right? Hmm. See what I mean? Uh, I like Ford. You like Chevy? And all the Ford guys hang together, right? Masons, it's a, it's a secretive club. And they help each other out and you get in trouble, you know. Every facet of life has some kind of little group and club and clique. Seems like a lot of times the church is just, there's, there's no, where's the support? Where's the stick Where's the sticking together? We should take sides with our brothers and sisters against the world. Not just cast them out, say you're on your own. Are we in union, in unity, in doctrine, and in charity? All right. Questions or comments? I'm going to have to uh, go too long some of these messages. <laughs>